episode of the Classic Pickup Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Whips, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by Classic Pickup Supplies, your number one Ford and Chev pickup parts supplier. Mention Classic Truck for a 10% discount off your first order. Classic Pickup Supplies, located in Coolum Beach, Queensland. Call 07 5446 2667. Or visit their website, www.classicpickupsupplies.com.au. Classic Pickup Supplies, dedicated to the restoration and preservation of the pickup. Episode 25. This week, I caught up with Doug Matthews from The Rubber Shop. He's north of Brisbane in Brendale, and we had a good chat about all the rubbers that you need for your pickup build. So this has been a great episode, and uh, I think there'll be a lot of good information in there for everyone. I want to do another quick shout-out. Uh, I had a couple more guys touch base this week. So Paul Gravina, uh, he's got a parrot-nosed Dodge on a HQ chassis that he's building. And also Peter McCauley uh, from Riverside Fabrication. He's got a 55 Chevy pickup. And I really just wanted to put a shout-out to everyone listening all over the world. It's, it's pretty amazing the statistics you can see with the software that we use. And we're currently being listened to in 34 countries around the world. So pretty humbling uh, to think that many people are listening to me rabbit on but uh, I'll just do a quick shout out and run through all the countries it's quite interesting so we've got Australia New Zealand Papua New Guinea Indonesia Malaysia Thailand Vietnam Taiwan Oman Israel Turkey Serbia Italy Morocco Spain France Slovenia Austria Germany Belgium Netherlands Poland the UK, Ireland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, the United States, Canada, and Trinidad and Tobago. So if you're listening from one of those, I suppose I'd call them unusual locations as far as a classic pickup truck goes, uh, shoot me a message. Really interesting to hear what you're doing and what you're building. And, and I love to speak to people who are in other countries and have a different culture and, and are sort of embracing the pickup trucks. Uh, I'm actually catching up for our next episode. I'm speaking to a gentleman in Oman, which is just under um, Saudi Arabia there, so in the Middle East. So very interesting. I look forward to that interview and, and bringing that to you next week. But uh, for this week, we're talking to Doug Matthews and uh, he's got the rubber shop and he's got a nice little uh, 40 Chev that he's building. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Doug, thanks for coming on board and having a chat to us on the podcast. How you been, mate? Really, really well, Michael. Really well. Doing real well. Cool. And, um, yeah, I came across you guys. Uh, definitely something that I need pretty soon is some rubbers for my vehicle. So I was sort of always keeping an eye out. And uh, the rubber shop, obviously, been in business for quite a while and, and got hold of you. So why don't we just wind the clock back a little bit, Doug? Tell us, tell us a bit about you know, your first automotive memories and, and what got you interested in cars in the first place? Mate, it probably goes back to, and it probably leads into one of the cars I'm building at the moment, was my, my grandfather had an old Chev truck. And, and as a young kid, I used to remember, and these are the old days, I suppose, but sitting, I remember sitting in the back of the train and driven around Gladstone. 
uh, up in Queensland. So that sort of, I guess, prompted a, a fascination for mechanical things. And then my father was into some old bikes and had some old cars and old Holdens, as you do as you grow up. Um, but my first car was a little Ford Escort, <laughs> um, which probably sounds a little bit odd, but back in the 80s, that's what you did. And then slowly progressed to a range of Holdens and Fords and had some pretty crazy HD premieres with mad Chevy motors in them and the rest of it. And then um, we've had a couple of little race cars over the years and a, a couple of old 1950 Norton bikes and various things. And that's how it progresses. I think I've had all the Fords and Holdens. Haven't had too many Valiants. Um, but yeah, we've had small Fords and big Fords and big Holdens and Fergus and Minis and all sorts of stuff in the stable, which has probably led us into why we're in the rubber shop business, I guess. <laughs> yeah, always looking for parts. Yeah. Yeah. So you, your grandpa's truck, what, what year was that? Do you remember? It, it was a late 30s. I don't remember the actual year of it, Michael, but it was a late 30s. And look, looking back at a couple of photos, and they're pretty sketchy photos because I take them with a box brand, so half the, everyone's heads and half the cabs are missing. But it looks like it probably would have been about a 36 or a 37 um, Chev truck. So um, he had a carrying company um, out in Longwich and then moved to Gladstone. So um, but that's it, why the, the Chev truck, and it's called the Red Terror because it's a red Chev truck. So, um, yeah, that's how we all sort of kicked off, I suppose. And the, the funny things you, you, you find in your early life tend to, to hold firm through life, and that's probably why I've always been a bit, a bit more favourable than the Chevs, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you know anything of the history of that truck? Did you try and trace it down or, or know anything that happened? No, look, I think from talking to older brothers and sisters that it, it finally just, I mean, grandfather, he just drove it till it died and then I think, like a lot of things, it just got, it just got left on a property and it just became garden art and it just got probably taken away. So, no, I haven't got any history on that one. Um, but, um, yeah, it's probably prompted the, the reason to do a, a shared truck. Yeah. So so tell us a bit about the rubber shop. I mean, I see you guys have been in business for, for quite a while since the mid-'80s. Is, did you start the shop? No, I didn't, Michael. Uh, a couple by the name of Bill and Karen Ryan, they kicked it off. They had an interest in, in vintage cars and old Austins and Morrises, and, and they kicked it off uh, selling a lot of uh, rubbers and products and, and metal panels from the old Peter Jackson days uh, when PJ started it all down in, in Sydney. And, uh, and they did it for 27 years, mate, until about 2010, and they wanted to, to get out of it and retire. So uh, I came along and was actually buying a fair few bits and pieces off them for various cars and mentioned one day they were selling it and came home and spoke to the wife, and lo and behold, I bought the rubber shop. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's how it all sort of started for us. So we've had it now. As I said, started in 1984. We, we purchased it in 2011. So we've been doing it now for... Well, coming up, I guess, to our tenth year, and and the business itself's been going for thirty six years. So, uh, yeah, a lot of things have changed in those thirty six years. But uh, yeah, we're still there, still mainly source our products from Australian suppliers and Australian manufacturers where we can, which uh, which is it's pretty hard to find these days. But it, it allows us really, really good, high quality products, uh, and when we know we know products fit, they work well, and they, and they last a long, long time. Yeah. So. So I guess most of our listeners are obviously going to be truck guys. So, um, you know, if if we if we have a you know like an an Aussie an Aussie cab, say it's a 
you know, like a Ford from the the fifties or sixties, you know, you'd 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 have a full range of all the rubbers needed for those. Yeah, absolutely. So we can do, and we're, we're not fussy on brands. So it can be a Ford, a Chevy, a Dodge, a Bedford, uh, it can be a Fargo, an International, Galvars, any of that stuff. We can do your your door screen seals, barley channel, all your weather strips, Aussie cabs. A lot of Aussie cab from the early forties through had uh, had quarter vent seals, whereas the, the American cabs didn't. So we can do some quarter vent seals for those. Uh, yeah, absolutely, all that stuff. And, and not just um, you know the, the, the smaller cab trucks, because some, some of the some of the bigger trucks had, uh, had some pretty interesting cabs and and and, uh, and equipment in them. So we can do stuff for those as well. A lot of times, what we'll do, Michael, is we'll actually send people some samples free of charge, just to make sure that what we send is going to fit. Uh, because sometimes back then, in the 40s and 50s, and these things were put together. Uh, yeah, there can be a couple of varieties of, of, of seals that went into it. So we normally send out a couple of samples, free of charge, people can test fit it, make sure it's going to work, and then and then say, yep, that's exactly what we want. We need three and a half metres or four metres or two metres, and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll send it accordingly. Yeah, so so if I say so I'll take myself for an example, I've got a 1950 Chevy truck, which is an Australian uh, Holden, mm-hmm. Holden built cab. Um, so if I just rang you up and said, uh, Doug, I need all the rubbers for my truck. Uh, that's a pretty simple thing for you just to go, yeah, we know exactly what you need, put it all together and send it out. Absolutely, mate. That's what we do every day of the week. <laughs> no problem. So, and that's, that's yeah, it'll be 60% of our phone calls, especially over this last few months, everyone's stuck inside and working on cars, but that's exactly what the phone call normally is. If someone comes up and says, mate, I've got a, I've got a whatever model, Aussie built truck. I've heard from someone that you do this stuff, and we go, "Yep, and we talk them through it," and um, so that's exactly what we do. And we, and we normally we'll either email them a, a quote sheet with all the bits and pieces that we can do. And sometimes they only want to buy some windscreen seals. Sometimes they want <coughs> the barley channel and weather strips and, and the whole works and jerks. But we just send them off a list and say, "You pick what you want, and you have the whole lot or two items," and uh, and away they go. But yeah, that's our that's our daily thing. Yeah, and it's definitely been busy since COVID sort of kicked off, hasn't it? Because everyone's sort of been forced to stay at home and, you know, head out in the garage and and do some work. It's been really interesting. Uh, it's been really interesting. It's been interesting the inquiries we've had. Uh, you know, and we do all cars from the from the 20s through to the late 80s. So that's, you know, American cars, classic cars, Australian cars, British cars, Japanese cars, trucks buses, all sorts of stuff. So it's been really interesting to for some of the inquiries that have come through for, you know, quite bizarre things. So, you know, nineteen forties Hupmobiles we've had a, a, an amphi car inquiry, which is a little amphibious car. <laughs> um, there's been all sorts of stuff. Um, not just, you know, your your Holden Monaros and your XY Falcons, but quite a lot of stuff from the twenties and thirties. So it's been really interesting in, in all ages. Um, you know, young guys, older people, all sorts of stuff. It's been a really interesting couple of months as this is all, as this is all panned out. Yeah, well, it's it's funny, you know, when when the economy or or when when certain, um, you know, if you're in hospitality right now, you especially down here in Victoria, you're just bleeding because you you can't have people sit in your restaurant and all that sort of thing. And and then another business like yourself just turns around and you know almost gets a bit busier and it's. It's interesting to watch these things happen, I think. Yeah, the biggest battle we're going to have probably in the next couple of months is just going to be 
replenishing stock because a lot of supplies that we use are based in Melbourne or down in the southern states. So, uh, and they're either being forced to close or we reduce their working hours. So at the moment, uh, our, our biggest battle, I think, over the coming months is going to be getting that supply chain continuing. But at the moment, we're all, we're all good, we're all stocked up and everything's good, but we'll just watch it and see like everyone else does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, so so what's in your garage now? I, I saw some nice pictures of a little uh, Cortina. Is that a Mark One? Yeah, it's a little Mark One Cortina. Uh, it's a little Bathurst GD500. So that's a little bit of a rare one, a special one. Uh, that's in the it's in the shed. And then next to it is the the forty shed pickup. We we uh, we're, we're building up there. So that's that's a, that's a holding body car. So that's it's been an interesting build, and uh, it's, it's had its second inspection the other week through the ASRF track inspection process. So now it's time to pull it all apart and paint it all up and put it back together. <laughs> yeah, and so so. Where did you, where did you get that cab from? Did you, was that something you knew about, or you went on a bit of a search? No, that, that was a bit of a weird one. We we sold a, a rubber kit from a Morris Minor to a, a gentleman out on a farm in Western Queensland, and ninety uh, percent of our Morris Minor kit is actually Australian made. So he, he rang us to, to thank us for the kit. His penalty to you know raving over how well it all fitted, and we started chatting on the phone and. He, he asked a question, you know, what type of cars do you have, Doug? Do you have any cars? And I said I had the Cortina and, you know, I think I had my son still had his minivan, so we chatted about cars. And then I, I mentioned that I'd, one day I wouldn't mind building a Chevy pickup because um, my grandfather had one. And then about two and a half months later, he, he arrived up at our shop with a, um, these two 40 Chevy cabs in the back of the farm truck. <laughs> and... Um, and he said, look, we don't need them. He said, they're on the farm. He said, they're just sitting there doing nothing. So we effectively dumped them on the driveway of the, the shop and we hosed all the, the mud and stuff out of it and sold off the bad cab and kept a good cab and it's become the the project we have today. So we've got this... this, this it, was, it was a little bit ratty, but it's it's come up okay. It's a usual story. You put a new floor in it and firewalls and bits and pieces, but that's how he acquired the cab. That's awesome, isn't it? Yeah, I mean that that just shows that good service and good karma comes back to you, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think it does. We always try to give honest advice. Um, you, you can buy cheaper rubbers and cheaper rubber kits from from overseas and on eBay and places, and and we try not to compete too much with that. We we pride ourselves on giving a, a very high quality product at a, at a fair price and. We give you honest advice. People ring up and say, yeah, will this fit? And we say, well, yeah, it might do. And if it's something that we haven't done before, there are a couple of cars out there that sometimes we haven't done before, we don't have a listing for. As I said, we'll send the samples for free and talk through with the people and, and do everything we can to help. And look, and we, we work a lot with the guys from Glass of Classics. We talk to Nathan a lot. We'll ask him you know, what that, what type of glass is going in a certain model car or he'll, he'll ring us and ask for a, a sample of a seal so he can make sure that you know, the glass we're doing to someone's car is going to fit. So we try to work in with it, some other suppliers as well so that the end product, regardless of what someone's building, is a, uh, is a quality vehicle. Yeah, that's cool. And it, it, that's good to see you guys, you know, do work with each other and, and help each other out because, you know, we're all part of the same industry at the end of the day and, and getting stuff right is the important part. Exactly right, exactly right. And with the, you know, 
as far as all the rubbers, do you supply the clips and things where they need to be and, and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah, we can for weather strips and stuff. We've got a range of clips that we do. We, we get a lot of people that, that will send us an old weather strip that looks pretty decrepit and falling apart, and then we'll we'll manufacture a new one to, to, to mimic and copy that exactly with the clips on it and send it back, and then all they've got to do is just clip it back into the car. So we do a lot of our own in-house weather strips, for, again, for a variety of cars all the way through from the you know, your jail bar pickups and your, and your shed pickups and that sort of stuff, your Dodgers and Bedfords, we can do. And look, some people, you know, the way people modify cars these days, they might take the quarter of that windows out so we can do an extra long, longer than normal weather strip. Uh, for people, we can do extra long barley channel. So there's a, a number of different things that people want to try these days. There's much more technology coming along with electric window kits and so on and so on. So... We try to we try to work in with that as well. Yeah, so you're talking about you know, say my Sherp truck's a perfect example. It's got quarter windows, but you just do a single piece conversion and take that out. Yeah, a lot of people are doing that now. They're taking the uh, the quarter windows out. There's a little bit of work involved in, in removing you know, some of the bracketry and, and the frame and, and stuff. But uh, it's something that we, you know, as I said, we've done a few for different people. So we we again we send the sample and, and that gives people the chance to to have a have a demo piece that they can actually make sure it's going to fit all the way around the frame. Um, so so little things like that. Yeah, you know, if we get involved early enough in, in, a, in a car build, we can we can help people through it. Uh, as I say, that's why we work a lot with you know, guys from Glass and Plastics where we can we can talk to them and say, hey, you know, Bob, for example, said he's getting the glass from you guys. What are you supplying? What thickness are you going to do? And then we can work out what barrel channels required and send it through. No, that's great. And so I'm I'm looking at a, a photo here off your Facebook page. It's of the chassis sitting on the ground in front of your cab. So obviously early days. Now, I'm not an early uh, chassis expert, but is that like a – it almost looks like a 32 Ford chassis to me. What What's the chassis under that truck? It's actually a uh, it's a 28A model uh, replica chassis actually. Yep. So it's quite short. So it's going to be interesting to drive. But yeah, it's a it's an A model chassis. So it's, it's got I mean with uh, with four bars front and back and disc brake conversion by the look of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I guess one of those, it's it's funny when you build cars because you you've got this plan in your head and then when you start to do things it doesn't quite work out and you have to change things. <laughs> but um, no, it's come together pretty well. Yeah, cool. And and how does it work up there in Queensland? So you're taking a, a reproduced chassis, putting it all together. So will this be like an individually constructed vehicle or will it be registered? How would that work? You can do it through the ICV. But I've, I've gone through the ASRF, the Street Rock Federation, yep. and, and going through their proposal to build scheme and doing the three inspections. And, and I was really lucky. I've got obviously some, some good friends and good customers through the industry. So it's the end of the stage that... I was doing less and less work on the on the, on the hot rod or the, or the pickup and and, <laughs> and and needed to get some work done. So I shipped it off to a, a very very good friend of mine up in Bundaberg who who built hot rods, uh, Glenn Harwood. So he spent a lot of time doing the uh, the tin work on the on the floor and the firewall and built the uh, the tray for me. And it, look, he did more in in three weeks and I did in probably three months. So. It was a smart option for me to get that done. And then we got the inspections done, and I've now got it back to to do the, the final strip down and paint the chassis up and 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 bits and pieces, and then put it all back together. It's pretty cool. And so, and so you you're doing this more as a sort of an open open front uh, hot rod style pickup 
than a, a traditional pickup look, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's got, it's got a small tray on it. I mean, you can, you can put an esky in it. <laughs> it at all. Uh, but, it, it, yeah, it's always been the plan, I suppose, from day one, to build it along a hot rod style. Uh, I haven't chopped the roof. I think we've kept the, we've kept the stock height roof. Uh, I'm six foot four tall, so we thought it wise to, to have a bit of headroom. Uh, and we, we've got a, a, a top of the bonnet, I guess. It, it's hinged. Uh, it resembles the old school look, but it's just the top of the bonnet, so we won't run any, any sides. It's a 34 shed grill uh, surround and, and grill on it. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a mix match, but that's what hot rodding is all about. So, um, but the cat itself is, is, is stock height. Uh, we haven't changed any split window, quarter vents are still on the doors. It'll, we'll, every rubber that's in the car will, will be what we sell. Uh, so it'll be a working example of what we do. We also sell some rocket covers and other bits and pieces. So everything that we, we sell uh, and are able to supply will, will be on the car. So it'll be a working example, a good way for someone to come up and, and ask a question of a car show or swap meet, and we can point them straight to the car and talk them through how we do it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. And, and a really nice little tax write-off. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to assume you've got a small block Chev in that thing because you, you can't put a Ford in it, surely. No, you can't. We've uh, it's, just, it's pretty old school. It's a 350 small block, um, you know, double hump, purely heads, and it's an A1A block. And it's running twin 600s on a tunnel land, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty old school. It's about 350, uh, just through to a salt rear end. Um, as I said, the... The go fast days are over. This is probably more about trying to look cool. It'll be angry, but it'll um, it'll it'll be more of a cruiser. Yeah, just something to wake the neighbours up on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, love. What what's the history on the Cortina? How how did you sort of get hold of that? Uh, I had a little Mark Terrestrial race car, Michael, and um, I've wanted a Cortina since I was probably about seven years old. And I don't even know why I started looking for one, but anyway, I didn't found one and took it for a test drive and thought, yeah, it's not too bad, and the guy wanted a bit too much money for it. But in the end, he rang me back a couple of weeks later and hadn't sold it and asked if I was still interested, so we agreed on a price. And uh, I thought, well, I'll sell the Escort race car and, and build a little Cortina race car. And the more we sort of researched and looked into the history of the Cortina and the numbers it had, uh, the more carcass being a, a bit of a rare one, so it seemed a bit silly to turn it into a complete race car. So embarked on a little restoration on it, and uh, it, it's it's got a few different things. You know, it actually runs a half wild cage and a harness. We do some street sprints and with hill climbs and regularity racing in it. So we don't punish it too much, but we have a bit of fun in it. But it's uh, it was a, we I bought that in 2011. I think it was, uh, uh, might have been 2010, 2010-2011, so it took a little while to get finished again. It's always hard to do that stuff when you're trying to run a business as well, but it's been on the road now for about four years, so uh, it's, it's a really fun car to drive. Uh, it's a bit of a hard back of the 60s. It's interesting the technology they had or lack of it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what's interesting. I was going to mention I, um, I got to know a guy in, in Brisbane, Oh, just out of Brisbane, and he's got a little um, business. He calls himself Charged Garage. I don't know if you know Tim, but uh, he's got the same sort of model Escort, and he's done a full electric conversion on it. Yeah. Yeah, you know the car? Is it a white car? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen a, 
I know a guy who, who went for a drive around the other week. I've seen a little video footage of him. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty quick. Yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah, he's. Um, I think I think he's aiming towards creating a fleet of electric rental classic rental vehicles, which is a pretty cool concept. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting. I've seen a few stories now that of doing the, the electric conversion. A lot of people don't like it, uh, but from a technology perspective, it's. I think it's very clever and very innovative how they do it. Um, it's probably not something I do, but but I admire the people that do it because it is. It, it's pretty cool to see them. I mean. When this thing takes off, it, it gets going pretty fast. Yeah, it is an interesting one. I, I think it's probably the future of, of hot riding. You know, like you think in, in 10, 15 years' time, you know, the young, young kids that are coming up through school now, they don't, they're not looking at a blown big block Chevy and, and getting excited about the noise of that. They're, they're in this different little world. And, and for hot riding to survive or for these classic cars to survive in the future, I, I suppose something like this is is kind of where it's going to go. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how things progress over the next five or ten years. I mean, we get a lot of young guys, especially in the swap meets, that turn up with their, with their dad or their, or their grandfather and they've, they've, you know, they've bought... Some of them buy an old home, some of them buy a you know, Datsun 180B or whatever, and, and you start to talk, and you know, some of these guys are 14 or 15 and others are you know, 18 or 19, and it's interesting to talk to them and just see what they're doing what their plans are for the car. And we enjoy doing that. It's sometimes harder with the big swap meets to get time to spend with some of the customers. But it's nice to sit there sometimes and talk to them and just find out what their plans are. And, and you're right, it's interesting to see how it's going to progress and what the, the young guys are going to be into. Because the, the thought process on wheels and paint schemes and everything to do with the car, suspension, it, it, it's a lot more... As we see all the technology now and, and advancements in, in what you can do with front ends and suspension and stuff. So it's going to be really interesting how it all works forward with with engines and drivetrains and power plants and all this stuff. Especially as as these things become more more cost effective, uh, you, you might see another HR on HR an electric electric drivetrain. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've gone from putting 350 chevs in everything to putting LSs into everything, and you know. I, I personally think that in, in five, ten years' time, it, it'll be the Tesla swap, you know, that'll be the cool thing that everyone's doing for, for power. So it's not everyone's yeah. cup of tea, but, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a part of the future, that's for sure. Yeah, well, and you see we've got the e-racing now, and the guys are running, the, you know, it's Formula 1, but it's that style of vehicle, but it's electric engine. I mean, the, the MotoGP, they do a, an electric bike, they've tried that. So I, I think it's coming. It'll just depend on... Like anything, how the, how the fans and the spectators adapt to it and accept it, but it's certainly not going to be uh, going away anytime soon. Like we're going to be, it'll, and look, the performance they get out of these these electric vehicles is, is quite staggering. So once they get some longevity into it, uh, I, I think they'll see it be a lot more. But the good thing is, I suppose after they still need some rubbers for the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you'll be right. Yeah, that's good. So, so with the little Chevy pickup. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume you've probably driven it up and down the block a few times. Uh, we did a while ago, but now that it's all getting um, getting stripped down again, so it's, um, she won't be going again. I've given myself a target at the end of the year before Christmas to have it all painted, finished, and third inspection. So that'll be a nice time, mate, to take a bit of a, a drive down the road and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, and I, I heard you 
I heard you say a dirty word earlier. You mentioned the word paint. Are you are you going to sandblast and paint that cab? No, we're going to leave. Well, the inside I'll paint up. Yeah. Uh, but the outside, at this stage, I'm going to leave it all patinaed up. It was actually the old Maribor timber truck, I think it was. Uh, so there's a little bit of signage still on the door. So we'll uh, we'll leave it as it is for now. For the next few years, patina seems to be in, so we'll run with that and uh, and leave it as it is. And then maybe in a few years' time, we'll put a coat of kind of paint over but for now I think it'll, it'll just be the patina rusty look mm, no that's cool and and so so with that build if you look look back on it now you know is there anything that if you were starting that that build again would you do anything a bit differently or you you think going with a complete chassis and and, and building up from there was the way to go that's a really good question because you always you always learn and, and, and find mistakes and errors on the way i'd probably i'd probably do the same thing again there'd, there'd be a couple of things i'd probably do differently as the steps and procedures you do, and I'll probably do a few things sort of back to front and long way around. Uh, but no, I think I would go the same the same steps that we did. Maybe not a 28A model Chevy because they are quite short. So it would have been nice to probably have a longer bed net on it on the back of it. But um, no, I'd still go with a again because I was trying to build a hot rod. So so I'd still do a. a Chassis and the, and the cab on it. It's interesting when you see a lot of guys do the uh, they do the HQ, the one ton of chassis, and they and they, and they put a, a cab on it. Uh, there's some really really nice pickups getting built out there. And we've done a couple of kits for people lately, and they send through some photos of what they've done, and they're really innovative and you know one-off sort of cars and, and trucks and stuff. And it's quite impressive what guys are building in their sheds. I can tell you. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I don't think those 40s cabs are. You, I don't think you could put them on a HQ chassis anyway. They're, they're just way too wide um, for that for that small yeah, small yeah, body. Yeah. yeah, no, that's cool. No, well, that's great. I mean, I looking at a few photos that I that I've seen of it. it, it I love the patina on it. I think it looks great. And I always dream one day of of building an open open fronted hot rod, probably with a flathead V8 in it or something like that. I, I think it would be a really cool thing to have. Yeah, it's, it's a nice uh, seating position when you look out. If you take the top of the bottom off and you, and you just look over carbs and, and everything, and people say, how can you get away with this? And you say, it's a hot one. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's okay. You're allowed to do it. And we're, we're only running little cycle guards on it, the three-quarter cycle guards. So, and you're allowed to do all that. And so everything you've done is in accordance with the big proposal to build book you get. So... Uh, I'm looking forward to having it finished. Yeah, and the guards are interesting because you see a lot of uh, guys parked up at shows and, and they're full open wheels. So I'm assuming that they've probably got guards on when they're driving legally on the road and and then they just remove them for a show. Is that sort of what happens, do you think? Yeah, that's pretty typical of what happens. And look, a lot of guys at the, at the big shows will actually put a sign there saying that my guards removed for show purposes only. Uh, but yeah, you, you've got to... You have to run a mud guard. In America, you don't have to, but in Australia, you you have to run the mud guards. And, and there's a bit of a, a hit on it a few years ago where guys were were taking the guards off and driving around, and there's a bit of a blitz on it, and that got stopped, which is probably fair enough. But um, they look good with our guards, but uh, we're just going to run the little cycle guards, mate. And it should look the part, I think. And uh, and then, so what? What would be a future future plan? Are, you know, you're just going to finish that and, and be be happy and sit idle or do you think there's uh is there something else in your head already that you'd like to do oh you're never happy michael <laughs> <laughs> there's always another one out there, out there somewhere to build uh oh look 
I like to do a little roadster, stay in the hot rod theme and just do a little roadster, but uh, and not with a big crazy V8 engine, probably something like a little a little two eight two six cylinder motor or a Ford motor or kick cylinder Ford motor. But um, I also like the, the later model trucks with, with the big you know, a full bonnet and, and guards and, and that sort of style too. So we'll get this one finished and we'll have a bit of a look and a think and, and see what we can do. But um, yeah, there'll certainly be something else. Uh, yeah, <laughs> along the way that it will kick off. No, that's cool. Um, so, what about travel? Have, have you? I mean, being being in the industry, have you got the golden ticket and headed over to SEMA in the in the past? We we're supposed to go to SEMA this year, but that's obviously not uh, not going to happen. Been, I've been over to the states a few times for different things and, and talking to suppliers and stuff. We get a lot of our stainless edge barley channel and 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 weather strip material out of the US. Uh, it's, it's made in the States, it's very high quality, so we get it from the States. So there's been a couple of trips to the US over the years to talk to suppliers and sort of do some cruising around. We've got some good friends over there, so they look after us well. Uh, been to a couple of swaps over there and that, so it'll be nice to get over to see them again, but as I said this year, we'll, we'll plan to head over. It's always good to go over because we always, also are always on the lookout for complementary products that we can, we can be the distributor or, or resell to people here in Australia, but um, yeah, obviously with this, this COVID stuff, there won't be too much travel going on this year, so hopefully next year. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed that we can fly again um, some stage soon, it would be good. Well, it's been a tough year because we've had uh, the big events up here in Queensland, Beach Fest and, and Coolies and you know, a number of other events and swap nets and stuff, we just, you know, they, they couldn't go healthy because of numbers of people, so they've been cancelled, so it's been an interesting year where normally every yeah, once a month you're at a, we're at a swap meet or a car show with a trade stall and talking to hundreds and hundreds of people and you know, getting feedback and just chatting and catching up with, with old customers and new customers. And it's, it's been quite surreal this year because here we are in August and the last swap meet we did was Toowoomba back in February. So it's, it's been quite an interesting year. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, there's nothing normal going on, that's for sure. No. What would you say, I mean, you obviously... Uh, you see a lot of customers coming to you with, with builds. Is is there a a model? You know, do you see more Fords or more Chevs, or is is there any sort of uh, you know task force trucks are more popular right now? Do you see any of those sort of swings and and keep track of any of that sort of thing? Yeah, we do. It's interesting how things change uh, over the years. Typically, when it, when a vehicle seems to be having a birthday, like a fiftieth birthday. Uh, a couple of years ago, when HKTGs were sort of approaching that 50-year mark, we seem to, we, we seem to get a big run on 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 HKTG holdings. It's the same with the XYs. Probably in the last six months, I'd say the, the biggest inquiries we've had for have certainly been Aussie cab pickups. Chevs are probably leading the way because they were probably the most predominant here in Australia, but also a lot of Bedfords and, and the jail bars and stuff, uh, and the occasional international thing there. But certainly the pickups. Uh, and, and the truck pickups, I mean, uh, they've probably been the most common inquiries, especially you know, for, for 2020, even before COVID started. Um, you still get you know, some early F trucks, the F1s and, and those things, but it's certainly been the, uh, it's been a big push on, on pickups. And I don't know if that's just, you know, maybe they're more affordable to pick up a cab and a, and a chassis and you've got some more options with it over buying a sedan of some sort. But uh, pickups are certainly the way to go at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I, I feel like it's a bit reflective on price, you know, like if, if I wanted to go out and buy a, you know, like a HG or a HQ or, you know, something that's not obviously not just a, a normal uh, four door family wagon sort of thing. But, you know, if you're looking for something kind of, kind of cool, it, it's getting to a point almost where all the good ones have been snatched up. And, you know, if you want to get an early Holden or even an early Ford, they're, they're really quite expensive, but you can, you know, you can pick up a Bedford off a farm for a thousand bucks, or you can get a, you know, like a Chev's probably, you know, you're in the four or five grand mark now, but they're still kind of affordable. Yeah, we've seen that probably over the years where uh, an XY sedan was very popular because people could build a replica GT and HK Monaros were very, like, TG Monaros were popular because everyone was into the Monaros and as their price goes up, they could get into the sedans and the sedan price goes up, they get into the utes and wagons. And I think you're right. Uh, I mean, before I built this Chev pickup, we initially, I thought, okay, it might be easier to build a HG Ute with a 350 Chevrolet. Well, it's hard to find a decent-bodied HG Ute for reasonable money. So that's when I thought, well, you know what? It's going to be just as easy and probably cheaper in the long run to build a, a Chev pickup. So we were lucky that we sort of got handed the, the cab a bit, but... I think you're right. I think it's coming down to, uh, to to cost. Yeah, yeah, definitely availability. I mean, you know, I, I see in the states that you know the uh, the uh, what they call the OBS, I suppose the the body style of Chev trucks are are having a big comeback, and and I think that's because the C10s have just gotten so hard to get and got so expensive. So, and and as people get a bit older, it's also it seems to be whatever was a a cool vehicle when you were in high school when you get to that sort of 40 years old sort of stage, that's kind of what you want. You want to have that thing that you remember from, from back in your high school days that you, you never could have at the time. Yeah, we get when we talk to a lot of customers about what they're building, and we, we, we enjoy hearing what people are building, and, and we probably spend a bit more time than others because we ask them, you know, what colour are you going and what are you going to do here and what wheels are you running, what, what drive train, and, and we enjoy that as well to find out what people are building. We, we are car people. Uh, so it's interesting to to, to find out, and, and it's surprising the number of people that will say that either their their father had one, or they remember when they were fourteen, so and so had a a pickup, or they saw one somewhere in a magazine, and, and it stayed with them, and then now they're in a, a stage of life where they've got the money, they go out and and they can buy it and do it. So it's interesting. Yeah, you're right. It always comes back to some point somewhere something triggered a, a passion in you to uh to build a certain type of car yeah it's it's classic I, I remember as a young bloke driving around and you'd see some you know i'll use inverted commas old guy um who's probably not that old but uh you know they might be driving a porsche or a ferrari or something and and they're not really driving it very fast and you know i was a young bloke and i hot it up you know ford fairlane and, and i was like what a waste what's that guy got that thing for but, you know i should have that you know but it's it's the classic <laughs> it's the classic thing where by the time you could afford to buy one of those things, you just want to cruise around in them, not like you would have done as a young bloke. Yeah, exactly. So so that brings up a question, and, and I hope you don't mind me asking, but is your grandfather still around? Is is he still alive? No, mate, no, no. He passed many many years ago. Mate, I was only about nine or eight or nine when he when he passed. Yeah. Um. So that's probably why I guess I, I was lucky that I had a couple of years of. Of remembering and and their their childhood memories like they're not really clear, but um, you know there's certain things that you still remember from your grandparents from 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 way way back and, and you, it's 
they always stay with you. Some of those those memories, um, you, you never ever forget them. It'll be it'll be a song or a, a smell or something that'll that'll bring back uh, the memories of your, your grandparents and even well, not, you know, sadly both my parents have passed away as well. But but yeah, something will happen that'll trigger a, a memory and and then your smile comes on your face when you remember something and, and you think yeah that was that was pretty cool and. And, that, and then you reflect on it, and it's it's what brought you to where we are today. You know, not just with cars, but with the type of people we are and who we grow into. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I'd rush out and buy the cars my dad had when I was younger, but uh, certainly as I got a bit older, you know, he he's, he had a nice uh, he had a '59 Ford Custom Line, which was a, a beautiful car that he bought at a Shannon's auction and. Um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's what got got it for me. You know, I got dragged around all these car shows all of a sudden and, uh, yeah, saw all these cool things. So what about uh, the sort of the, the car club scene up there? Are you, are you a member or involved in any of the car clubs up your way? No, look, I had been in a, in a couple of uh, a couple of clubs over the years. When we lived up near Bundaberg a few years ago, we joined the, uh, the Rum City Riders, and that was really good. It was a really good source of information, good camaraderie, yeah, good to go on a, on a once a month. We go on a on a garage floor to someone's house and and see what they're building. And it was really really interesting. And it was a really good way, I think, to to, to learn from like-minded people from what they built. And you know, don't do this, but, but do this. So that was really really helpful. When we moved back down to Brisbane a couple of years ago, um, I had every intention of joining a club, but I found that it was just hard sometimes with a lot of the the runs that clubs go on and so on, it, it conflicted a lot with, with you know, we attend swap meets and, and big car shows, so it was always sort of on a weekend, so now at the moment I'm not in the car club, there's quite a lot of cars and coffee events that happen up here, I know you guys do quite a few down there too, so it, it's, we've probably been doing a few of those lately, where we just take the little court team into a cars and coffee and, and you know, there can be you know, 150, 200 cars and some of these things, and it's, it's interesting, it's a good way to catch up with people friends, especially when you haven't seen it for three months because of COVID, so we're starting to get a lot more of those again happening now with some of the restrictions of these, but I'll probably, probably spend more time going to the uh, cars and coffee events or just the car meet somewhere now and catching up with friends and, and other people and meeting new people at those things rather than joining a car club. I think, I'm, obviously, I'm in the ASA, I have the Street Rod Federation to do the hot rod, but I think when it's finished, uh, I'll, I'll certainly look at, at joining a club, yeah, so we can go on a few runs with people. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good to get amongst things. But yeah, I mean, I think the cars and coffee thing's great. I I host one here in our hometown, and it's just it it blows me away when I when I first started, probably a year ago now. Um, you know, I I reckon I knew of about seven or eight classic vehicles in town, and and all of a sudden you you just you get this get together and give give people a chance just to bring them out and have a drive and and have to show you know not even you don't have to wash it you don't have to do anything special just come down and, and drive it down there and and we're getting 30 40 cars and and we're in a really small country town so i i think they're just the best the best thing i'm constantly astounded at the variety of cars that turn up i mean some of the the little ones we get and we have some big ones in brizzy and some small ones and we're very fortunate because there's so many on it's not funny but you go to some of these events and yeah, we've got guys pulling up in Lamborghinis and Ferraris, and then we've got little genuine Fiat Bambinos and, you know, Corvettes and there's Cortinas and Escorts and, and Valiants and it's made stuff from the from the 20s and 30s. It's And stock standard ones and fully modified ones, and everyone just is happy to have a chat and, and talk about the cars. There's no animosity. 
it's great. They really are a good thing, and, and, and husbands and wives come, kids come, people bring their pet dogs. I mean, it's a real, it's a real uh, social event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the minute, the minute you take the competitive side out of it, like there's no show and shine, there's no prizes or trophies. You just go park next to the car that's got a spot vacant and and just enjoy yourself. And I, I think it's a really uh, humble and and good way for people just to get together and appreciate. All sorts of different rides. I think it's great. Yeah, you know, I think they're a great event. And look, there's so many of them around now. It's hard to get to them all, but hopefully they're here to stay. As I said, we didn't have them for a while, but they're, they're starting to kick off again now with restrictions uh, released a bit. Hopefully, we can get back to a swap meet soon. We're still restricted to, to 500 people in an event, so we probably won't be having any swap meets for a while. But uh, no, it's nice to get out and about again. And we, we, it's a good time of year up here at the moment. It's beautiful. Uh, crystal clear days. It's softly cold. It's a nice time to go out in a classic car. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Eh? Do you want to rub it in anymore? It's below zero here overnight, and, <laughs> and we're we're not even allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> I know you can't even go to your driveway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only five hundred people. Jeez, that'd be great. Uh, classic. <laughs> All right, mate. Yeah. Well, um, look. Great to catch up and, and have a chat and I really appreciate um I appreciate people who who sell products and then they live by the products, you know, like you're a car guy and you sell car stuff and, and I know that's generally the case, but you you do see it sometimes where it where it's not so much. Now if if people wanted to get hold of you guys, you, you've got a Facebook page, it's the rubber shop and obviously a website, the rubber um, what, what's best? They just they send you an email or give you a phone call. How how does that normally work? Yeah, look, f- phone call and email is easiest. I mean, Facebook's a wonderful thing, but sometimes uh, we're under the pump and it's hard to respond to messages and stuff. So it's easier easiest to give us a call or email. The, the phone number is an easy one to remember. It's a mobile zero four four eight, and then just remember the word rubber, which is zero four four eight seven eight two two three seven. Uh, or the email address is therubbershop at gmail.com. Uh, mate, we'll, we'll try to get back to you as soon as we can, and um, we'll talk you through your project. And as I said, it's not a rush call. We're happy to sit there and have a chat for, for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, whatever it takes. Happy to send out some free samples. And um, look, nine times out of 10, if someone rings up and says they've got a particular vehicle, we, we've got a listing on it, and we, and we know it's going to fit, and we can go from there. But every and then if someone's on something a bit a bit different or I want to do something a bit strange, we're, we're happy to help out with that as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, I, I've got a, a 77 Dual Cab International truck sitting here in my workshop that I'm doing some work on for a customer that we need need rubber for, so we'll be giving you a call uh, sometime fairly soon, I'd say. Yeah, give us a share and we'll try and help you out. Perfect. All right, Doug, well, thanks for your time, mate, and, um, yeah, next time I'm allowed to come up that way, uh, we'll come and try and catch up. Absolutely, mate. When you get out of lockdown, you can come up and see us. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, mate. Bye. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. All information shared in our episodes is general, and you should contact your engineer for advice on your build. Please remember to rate and review the podcast on iTunes and share it with friends and fellow enthusiasts on Facebook, iTunes, or the good old word of mouth. I appreciate hearing feedback, good and bad, so please feel free to shoot me an email, classicpickuppodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in advertising on the podcast and have a relevant business, please get in touch. And finally, if you have a project you're building, it can be hard to find the time to work on it. 
Just spend 15 minutes a day, even if you only unbolt one panel or mount one bracket, you'll be amazed at how quickly it all adds up. The music you hear in the background of this podcast is called Hammer On Down by Uncle Bonehead. Until next week, enjoy the ride.